Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish or love or would even like to just revisit, and they also pick one thing that they wish they could bury and forget. And that's what I'm going to talk about with my guest in this episode, who is Natasha Hodgson. If you don't know Natasha yet, I promise you, you will do. She's an award-winning writer and performer specialising in musical theatre and comedy. Her new musical comedy, Operation Mincemeat, which she co-created, co-wrote, co-composed and performs in as part of the theatre company Spit Lip, opened at the Fortune Theatre in London's West End on May the 10th, 2023, to widespread critical acclaim, including from me when I was lucky enough to see it in preview. It's been regularly playing to sold-out houses ever since. The show was first performed in 2019, winning the Stage Debut Award for Best Composer Lyricist and the Off West End Award for Best Musical Production and Best Company Ensemble. It has, to date, received 64 five-star reviews, including from The Times, which said it was a gloriously inventive wartime romp, which it is, and The Mirror, which described it as part Mel Brooks, part Six, part Hamilton, with a side order of one man, two governors. But actually, it's better than that. Natasha's first scripted comedy series, The Sink, was created for BBC Sounds. The show received, unsurprisingly, multiple five-star reviews, a nomination for Best Podcast Online Audio at the Audio Drama Awards 2021, and was named one of the top 20 podcasts of the year by The Guardian. Well, that's put me in my place. Natasha is a very in-demand writer, both in the UK and the US, with TV writing credits including the BAFTA award-winning series Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, plus 
Amazing World of Gumball, Bravest Warriors, The Now Show and News Jack Unplugged. But of course, Natasha's only just getting started. So let's find out more about this talented, funny, intelligent woman as she chooses the five things she'd want in her time capsule. Oh, and by the way, we recorded this episode on Zoom and I got the start time wrong. So when Natasha joined me, I'd been sitting there for a while. Natasha was exactly on time. I was early. Very early. Have fun. And here we are. Here we are. I've been sitting here for an hour staring into the distance. (laughs) Have you just been envisaging my face and all the things I could say and what universes we may explore? Just a single hour of just pure void. (laughs) If only I could have recorded it. It was just gorgeous. That's (laughs) the true podcast. That's the one before this. The hour before. Those when you're waiting for the Zoom to start. (laughs) This is the echo. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> very much. How are you, Natasha? How I'm very see. good. Thank you. I'm so excited to to, to come on this. I've been um, listening to your episodes and oh my goodness, your guest list is just spectacular. And what a beautiful list. You must be incredibly charming as a... as a. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope so. We'll, we'll find <laughs> out. We'll we'll yes, exactly. Well, I'll give you a score at the end of it, sort of out of 10. Yeah, 10 minutes in, you go, right, that's enough of this. I can't yeah, talk to you anymore. Yeah, you can eat anymore. it up for the charm factor by about 60%. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just going to go and make a, make a sandwich. That'll be the well, end. I shall start by saying <laughs> that you say how lovely of you to invite me on here with your extraordinary guest list. But I'm making a prediction now because I think in 10 years' time, people will say to me, have you got Natasha Hodgson on your <laughs> podcast? Blimey. I said, yeah, it was, it was just at the beginning. It was just, it was just, just I mean, got her. I mean, I know she's now living in Los Angeles and, you know, spends seven, she's seven unbearable months of the now. year. Oh, yeah, the, all impossible. the lawsuits, the, the, the rehabs, absolutely not. She's a, I mean, no, by the time she comes over, she's just been to the 10,000th performance on Broadway <laughs> of Operation Mincemeat. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, she uh, obviously, the 7,000th were the ones where her knees gave out on stage. Uh, <laughs> she was fell to the ground, uh, but spectacular all the same. Never lost the note, though. Never lost the note. She's handed the baton on <laughs> to other people who are mad enough to do your show. Oh gosh, I know, I know. Some someone out there. I mean, we've got we've got yeah, beautiful cast of what, and there's nine of us in total, including the covers. So we just need to up that by about sort of sixty, yeah, and, I think uh, so. and I think we'll be able to to run for another few months. <laughs> and then you could survive. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to take any credit, obviously. <laughs> but I did come no, I no, did no. come to the preview and I did immediately tweet this is the best show I've seen for years. I remember it vividly. I remember I was we were very pleased. That was it was a crazy time the previews because yeah. you're still trying to shift stuff and change stuff and, and you're still kind of learning. We'd never done a show with with even with three levels before, you know. We'd we'd already always done fringe venues. So even just trying to figure out where to <laughs> put your face yeah, quite. at any given moment. So to have, you know, the kindness of people like you coming to see us um and, and to give us support was incredibly, incredibly nice. Uh, but I was <laughs> so right, wasn't I? It kept us I- I was right. You were right. Your predictions, yeah, came true. We've been running since since March now, and we're, we're currently going till um, till yeah April next mm-hmm. year, which feels impossibly long. But you can't, you know, can't complain. It is exactly what we wanted. To, we apparently is what we wanted to happen. So I think we'll we'll we've got to take take the rough with the smooth. With yeah, that one. yeah. You go in thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if this happened? And then it does. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's the thing. When we first came across the story of it, of Operation Mincemeat, we we just couldn't believe what an amazing sort of little gang could do. This 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 sort of you know five people putting together this falsehood and this mystery and this this audacious plan, and they carried it out and it and it worked and it happened. And I think even though we didn't sort of consciously think that at the time, I think there was definitely a, a part of us that were inspired to think, well, if they can do that, you know, maybe a small team can go on and achieve big things. And I think even when we were playing, you know, we played it, we first did the musical in 2019 in um, in the New Diorama, which was an 80-seater mm. venue. Um, we did it for something like four weeks or five weeks. And, the, and that back then felt like a long run. We were like, God, five <laughs> weeks? Whoa! <laughs> God, we'll be we'll be so sick of it after five weeks cut to year five. Years I'm going to be so fit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm a real actor now. Five weeks. Wow. Yeah. But um, I think if you can do that thing of find people to replace it, I think you say April, but I think longer. I really do. I think it's a runner. Well, if you fancy, if you fancy a go at it, we can uh, we can get a part for you. Okay. Maybe Montague, Chumley. Who would you fancy, Mike? It's um, I think I think stage you. manager sitting in the corner. <laughs> I think I'd be happy with that. Yeah. Oh, they do. They do a lot of running around as well. You better believe it. There's a lot of hat management backstage that uh, goes under underappreciated. But no, no, they are they are gymnasts in their own right. In this show, it's lots of crazy business of moving around and jumping oh, about. Oh, you can and, see. You yeah, can they're, tell. They're, they're as fit as we are. You can tell because it's so slick. It's fantastic. <laughs> you say, you know, do you fancy being in it? But I was in the show that was the one before The Woman in Black. The Woman in Black is in mad? the same venue. So you know, it's absolutely crazy. So what show was that? It was Forbidden Broadway which is a show that runs mm-hmm. off-Broadway, but they brought it over, tried it in London. And we ran for about five months, I think. Oh, that's long, that. And that was four people. It was sung through, and they were all basically parodies of all the shows in the West End. And so you you constantly change your singing style, you constantly change costume. Yes, of course. So I absolutely... And you're presumably you're, not, you're never off stage, all that kind no of business. No, hardly at all. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I absolutely yeah. understand it. I think of, of anyone in the world, you may be the, some of the only people in the world, yeah, <laughs> the only person in the world who does truly understand what we're going through, running running around that backstage. <laughs> yeah. Those little, those tiny toilets. Tiny, tiny space. People like to think that the West End is, a, it was, oh, it's just, you know, it must be so glamorous. And you get backstage at a West End theatre, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> oh, I miss I miss being in an office. Yeah. <laughs> with a real kitchen. You can imagine that. I know. Actually, somewhere you can go to make tea. Yeah, where the, where the tap doesn't say, not safe for drinking. <laughs> the glamour of it. <laughs> oh, Lord. It seems a long, long. It is a long, long time ago, actually, that I did that. And was that the was that the longest theatre run you did, or you've, have you done longer ones? Yeah, no, I have done longer ones, but that's that at the time was the longest by far. What was the longest theatre run that you've done? Uh, the longest I did, uh, yes, Prime Minister in the West End. And which month did you go bananas? <laughs> About two weeks in. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking to uh, Reese Shearsmith, who's obviously a huge hero oh, of mine. Of all of came us. to see the show, and then he did of all exactly mm. what a, what a man. But he came and he he liked the show, and he did a Q and A with us, and he was talking to us about the fact that he did the producers for a year in the West End. And I said to him, "What was the hardest month?" And he think he said that month three was the hardest one, and that that you feel like you've already done so much. But there's so much more. <laughs> it's, it's stretching ahead of you. Yeah. Stretching ahead. I yeah. know. We, we complain about it. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a wonderful job, but it is a very strange job. It's a very weird job. Yeah, it's a strange thing to commit yourself to, isn't it? And everybody else, yeah, yeah, everybody else stops work, and that's when you start. Yes, exactly. You know, all your friends go, oh, I can't wait to go to the pub quiz. And you go, shut <laughs> up. There's no such thing as pub quiz for a year. No. Since Forbidden Broadway, my connection with musicals 
have been. I did one. I did a really, yeah. really terrible musical. You should look it up if you've never seen it. You'll enjoy it. It's called Fields of Ambrosia. Oh, no, I've never heard of it. The Fields of Ambrosia, which is uh, the place you go apparently when you die. And it's a story of a travelling executioner in the deep south of America oh going gosh. around with an electric chair on the back of his van. And he falls in love with the girl he's going to electrocute and plots to get her released. I mean, I'm I'm interested. I'm I'm not I'm not hating it. I'm like, okay, what's going on with this executioner guy? What's uh, what's gonna happen? Well, next? I have a feeling what? if you'd written it, then everybody would go, What a brilliant <laughs> idea, how daring. But unfortunately, <laughs> they turned it into this lovely romantic story. Oh no, that's no the good. death knell of the second song was called The Fields of Ambrosia. And as he was strapping this young lad into a chair, he started saying, hey, well, you okay there, Johnny? Don't worry, it's be okay. Yeah, you're going to the Fields of Ambrosia, the Fields of Ambrosia where everyone knows you. And it, it got such a groan. <laughs> got a terrible, terrible groan on the opening night. And you were like, uh-oh, they're, they're not on stage. Well, we suddenly oh, became no. English again. They were all American and a few of us were English. And they'd sort of drawn us in with that, that wonderful American enthusiasm and certainty oh, yes, about everything. And they'd gone, wow, it's great. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Wonderful. And we just went with it and went, yeah, wow. Maybe we are. Maybe we are amazing. I am amazing. I am amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did opening night and I went, I'm ridiculous. Oh, oh God. God. Oh no, I'm ridiculous. That's a great motto for life though. I want to put that on my gravestone. Oh no, I'm ridiculous. I kept forgetting that. It's so true. That's fantastic. You do discover oh, that wow. again and again and again through life. Don't oh you? yes, there's nothing like this, particularly during doing anything on a stage and particularly I think with comedy. Uh, I mean, maybe it's the same. I've only ever done comedy really, but nothing humbles you like trying a joke on a stage in front of people and everyone being like, was that supposed to? Are we should we have given you a reaction to that? Like, oh, I'm humbled. Oh no, I'm ridiculous. Oh, don't. <laughs> so how fantastic! I'm really excited to find out the things that you've chosen to put in a time capsule, and I hope that they tell us more about your life and about you. I know. I, it's it's such an interesting. I, I'm not. I don't consider myself to be a particularly introspective person, which is odd, I guess, because I'm a I'm a writer. But I think because maybe because I, I put all. The things that I think about the world into the characters, maybe that I write. I don't. I don't spend a bunch of time thinking. What do I? What do I think? So it's been a very uh, cathartic exercise for me. So uh, thank you, thank you for that. So should, should I should I crack into yeah, my first yeah. one? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so my first one is the picturesque, scenic Asda car park in Warrington, <laughs> where I'm from. Well, you'll maybe have to dig it up and have to do it piece by piece, but I think it will be worth it in the end. Um, and so, yeah, the reason that I've chosen, it's actually Goulburn. If anyone knows out there, knows Goulburn. It's not a very nice place, but it's where I grew mm -hmm. up. Um, uh, Warrington is, is slightly nicer, uh, sort of. And um, <laughs> But basically, my mum and my brother, we used to go to the, as do the Asda Big Shop every week, as yeah. you do. And there was a sweet spot with that weekly trip with my mother, where if we were too naughty or we would have been just good enough we were allowed to stay in the car in the car park while she dealt with the big shop <laughs> so either it was like oh you've been so good you don't have to come to the shop or you're driving me up the bloody wall you need to stay in the car um and that was every week where we would listen we only had one cd um but it was the cd of our entire souls and it was the double cd of les miserables oh my word and it was the only musical that I ever heard until I was about 16. But I <laughs> we must have listened to that CD literally every week, every couple of weeks, from the beginning to end, as long as the big shop would take, we put it on in the drizzly Warrington car park, me and my brother, from the age of about seven. And we would listen through that musical and just couldn't believe what we were listening to. Like, it was just this magical 
world. It, it didn't even really occur to me or him, I think, that other musicals existed. It was like, this was the musical. This was the, <laughs> this, this was the story. So this is the story. If you wanted a story. Yeah. yeah, this is, yeah. And I still kind of feel that way. I still kind of feel like those songs were not written. They were hewn. They were like, <laughs> they were like carved. Like when you listen to stars, I can't imagine somebody in a room to be like, all right, how's it go? Stars in your multitude. Like that wasn't written down. That was pierced in. Yes. But I think, you know, I, I think that's probably because, you know, it meant so much to me as a kid. But I think, first of all, it, it definitely ignited for me this, this like complete awe of, this type of storytelling and what an epic story of war and love and but this but you know very small things as well and mm. like you know on my own and these tiny moments and just how magical that world could be even if you're sitting in a cold car in a drizzly car park and so I think that that's the first back aspect of it do, do you are you are you a lamez lamez uh, do you know I'm, <laughs> I came to it late. I sort of resisted it. Yeah. Because, you know, that thing where you think, oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be just one of those shows. And I knew people in it originally. Wow. And I still resisted it. And then finally an actor who had been in it had played Tenardier. That's right, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. For years he'd played it. And he said to me, well, you know, it's like Les Mis. And I said, oh, I've never seen Les Mis. And he went, what? Have you never seen Les Mis? And we were in (laughs) London having lunch. And he said, right, we're going. And we went, oh, wow. we went that afternoon to watch the matter. Oh wow! Oh what a what a but like but I mean that makes total sense. But for me, like as a kid, I couldn't even the idea that people would play it would eat, was too much for me to even fathom. It was like you just have that opening call of that dum bum ba bum, and I was just like you would just go you were just transported back in time. It's kind of it's just I think what I love about that is like you never love anything as much as when you love something as a kid. Mm. Like nothing is so magical to you. And I think being able to have that like intimate, silent time <laughs> locked in a car <laughs> where you could do nothing but just appreciate, like just listen carefully and like discuss with my brother. But not sing along. You didn't sing along. Well, maybe maybe we did, we, we did a bit of singing along, but like it sort of, it sort of wasn't the point. I, I mean, we must, we must do it. I mean, one day more, you can't help but sing along to no, one day more. That's no. the end of the karaoke night. Everyone's doing every part in one day more. <laughs> Everyone sounds terrible. It's it's perfect. But I think it, it, it set me up for like a lifetime of like wanting to be in small confined spaces, like listening and watching things and, and with people and, and just, just talking about how wonderful they were. Like it, it was really, I always just remember like the vivid gold feeling of like, ah, oh, mum's gone to get spaghetti hoops mm. and we get to listen to the music now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's lovely now with the experience you've had for you to look back on that in a way and to sort of go, well, do you know what? Those people were doing that every night. They yeah. were doing eight shows a week. And the effort and the passion that you have to put in to make Les Mis work, you can't coast through it, can you? You can't, yeah. You can't one one leg it. Yeah, yeah, you no. have to. Yeah, but it, do, it does really help. I think, all, yeah, completely. And I think when you do a long running show, as you know now, and like and now I've discovered, it's so easy to forget just how like life changing going to an event or a gig or, or just anything like a piece of art like that, that, that really shakes you and, and really makes you go, wow, like these things exist. People can create this kind of thing. And when mm. it becomes your day job and you do it eight times a week and you're like, oh, bloody Tuesday matinee, they're not really up for it. I can't really be bothered. <laughs> I do kind of think back to like being in that drizzly car park, just listening to one day more, I'm being like, there has never been a more important piece of art than this. <laughs> no one has ever created anything that says more about the human emotion than this sort of four minute, whatever it is, piece of music. But yeah. as, so I think, yeah, so that, that car park is important to me as a kind of basis for 
having pure blinding attention on on the sort of thing that you're consuming and like and not just that but also being with someone else mm. consuming it and and being like can you believe can you believe <laughs> that this exists and i think yeah it's it's i think what when i um so obviously I, the, my my collaborators the people i wrote with the operation Minsmeet with mm. we all met at university mm. and the reason that we became friends is a kind of uh, now that i think about it and which is why it's helpful to to kind of do this to to come on a lovely show like this is um, we were sort of, we were friends um, and we knew each other and we did little odd shows together. But what really brought us together was that we had this, we started this club called the Fellowship of the Trilogy, where we would try and watch any film that had three parts to it in one night. We would try and stay awake and watch <laughs> the Fellowship of the Trilogy. And we almost, we failed almost every single time because we were, we just ended up getting drunk and falling asleep. Um <laughs> But it was the same thing. I remember feeling very vivid, like, oh, we're just we're just a group of people in this small space who are here only to just watch this these beautiful things mm. and talk about how good they are and why they're so fun um, and be, being filled with like a real joy because of that. And I think it, maybe possibly everything that I sort of try and make in my <laughs> in my career is is in sort of chasing down that the idea that I could give that to a group of people or somebody or uh, yeah is is very is very meaningful to me. How lovely. Well, you are. You are now. I mean, there must be young people coming to see the show at the moment going, do you know, I think I could do that. I'd love to do yeah, it. I, yeah, I think that's, we do get like, you know, young people coming to stage door going, I, it's made me want to, you know, want to write or like, mm. I didn't realise that you could do this. And and there's no, you know, the, the parts, you know, particularly for, for women and even for men are more interesting than we've seen. And it just, just, just making, and, and you know, that's the only, I'm, I'm very, very loath to give advice when it comes to being in, this industry and theatre and performing generally because I just think it's such a fucking crapshoot and, yeah. and you just have no anyone who says that they have any ideas how to get anywhere is unless you've got incredibly successful parents in the same industry as you yeah, that that's helps. a piece of advice but yeah. I, you know it does help but uh, you know someone like me who who doesn't have any of those connections you, you kind of just have to say just try and make your own stuff try, try and make stuff that you love and follow your own sort of your own joy and passion because even if you don't end up you know, rich or famous, you, you you end up with that feeling of 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 achievement and and golden glow in, in yourself. And it's the thing you wanted to do. You chose it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's that's the joy of it. I think is that you think, well, I like this. I wonder if anybody yeah. else will. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's the nice thing about like you know, all of art and com comedy particularly is so subjective, and you there is no sort of goodness scale for anything. Well, all you can do is go. I've made this. Does anyone else fun like this? Does, is this yeah. fun for anyone else? And I think particularly with sense of humour, it's such a lovely thing when you kind of get a crowd of people or a group of people who kind of go, oh, we all find this funny. That's so nice. That's such a good reason to be alive mm. is to find things funny. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it sort it's, of takes me full circle, the choice of Les Mis, because we did do uh, a complete Les Mis parody in Forbidden Broadway. So, in, yeah, yeah, so yeah. in fact, that's in a way the first time that I came across it. And we used the tunes, you know, Cameron Macintosh gave us permission and all that sort of oh, thing. Oh, did he? Oh, good old Cam Mac. Who were you playing in the in the parody uh, version? Uh, yeah, I can't we, we did a sort of flag-waving bit and we also oh, yes, Dream a Dream. Yes. There was a brilliant parody of that. It had the fantastic verse, um, Come watch us wallow in the dirt, then buy a souvenir and don it. Rich folks pay £20 a shirt. That has a starving pauper on it. <laughs> that was, that's Good. very well remembered from so long ago yeah, as well. Long, long well, well done. songs do that, don't they? Songs. Stay yeah, they it. do. They just stick. They stick in your brain. Yeah, that's, that's the magic of them. Lovely. Well, I'm going to put that car park. It's going to be slightly drizzly. 
Yes, please make sure it really is just not a very nice thing to look at. But, yeah, yes. the, the visuals have to be really quite depressing and for the magic to, yeah. to take place. And thinking, this is a long way from London. <laughs> <laughs> I had no fathom of what London was at that point. No, no, no clue, no, no understanding. Sure. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Let's put that in as the first thing. Lovely, Natasha. So what's, um, what's your second choice? There you are. I told you she was great fun, Natasha. We'll be back shortly with more from her. But first, here's an ad break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to part two of my time capsule with Natasha Hodgson. Let's find out what else she wants to put in her time capsule. So my second choice, um, again, might be tr- tricky in terms of logistics because it's a person. Um, and, but actually, you might be able to help me out uh, mm. with getting a good word in with this person because it's Julia Davis. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, you, you, you obviously uh, did fantastic work with her uh, on uh, on Nighty Night. But um, she's a genuine sort of heart hero of mine. And I think... In, in a kind of different way, in a sort of special place in my heart that, that other writers and other performers um, can't quite match in that. I remember watching Nighty Night as a kid um, and I couldn't believe that it was a woman who had come up with this and that she had written it and that she had starred in it because everything else so far that I had ever come across that I'd loved had been written by, you know, I'd seen, I think, you know, I can't, it was all sort of similar time, but like, you know, The Office and The League of Gentlemen and 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 there's many British comedies that I was really passionate for and like yeah, Big Train and there was lots of sketch, I don't know, he, she was in as well, mm. but it was always, it seemed like it was always driven by the boys. Yeah. And I think in my, in my little, you know, child lizard brain I think I'd kind of filed my ambition away to be like god wouldn't it be amazing to be in a show that these boys had written if some man would pick me to be in it yeah if yes. some man would pick me to be in it and if I could prove to them mm-hmm. that I was fun if they gave me the the seal of this woman this girl is funny I'll knock it out of the park it's fine <laughs> um because you know I knew that girls could be in it but nothing had nothing could had prepared me for 
watching 99 and not only was it fronted by and written by uh, a woman Julie Davis it was so audacious and dark and dangerous mm. and I was just completely in awe of of the creation of, of Jill Terrell <laughs> and that monstrous person and I just was so <laughs> delighted by it I loved it so much and I could just and it just really it just completely exploded my brain as to what as to what my it, it honestly I do believe it changed suddenly my ambition was no longer be in something it was make something mm. and make something exactly like what she made and she and also because she's just so she just seems like such a normal woman yes <laughs> which is not you know that there's a compliment or not but like she's not she just does the work she's so all about the work and you know you can only kind of get to know not that you really get to know her but the insights that anyone outside of her I'm sure her actual circle have are all, all to do with what you see in her work and yeah. you know watching Human Remains the Rob Brydon that she did with Rob Brydon so gloriously funny mm. and uh, Hunderby ridiculous <laughs> and and you know her jo- Joan and Jerrica I think that the podcast that she does <laughs> it's ridiculous. with Becky Pemberton it's just it's it just the way it just like burrows down and like just <laughs> muddles about in its own disgusting audaciousness I just think it's so like it's it's such a beautifully British way of going about comedy that you don't you I certainly hadn't seen from women. It was it was very much like and, and all you know the American sitcoms that I grew up with. I think it's it's much better now, but it was very much like the boys are disgusting, and then the woman walks in and goes, "Boys, <laughs> yeah. you can't be doing that. We've got dinner to make." You know, it was mm. it was they were very much the straight figure or ditzy or they were ditzy yeah they could that was the only type of comedy that women could have they, they could fall over that mm-hmm. was the thing that women could do which was obviously Just, fantastic they could not life. understand they could not understand or so they could funny. be they could be too emotional that's the other thing <laughs> they could be like they could be kind of crazy yeah. and uh, and and to watch the stone cold psychopath of jill tyrrell spooning Angel delight into Mark Gattis's face as she poisons him. Honestly, it is a memory I will treasure for all time. And so, yeah, I think obviously you can probably uh, t- talk to. Was that what was that like to? to do you do? know that scene? All those scenes with the uh, Angel Delight we filmed four months after we'd finished filming. No. Yeah. We, we, was that because like it, it it wasn't in it originally, or I've got the uh, I've got the original scripts. I, I've, I'm going to send them to you. Oh please, honestly, and, that and you'll be, be amazed. That would be my Christmas you'll be amazed present. at how different they are to what actually the program ended yeah. up as, and how that shows in a way her working process, which was that she'd written this script. We turned up and learned it, and then she said, "Oh no, we're not doing that today. We're going to do this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's chaos. It was chaos. It was absolute, <laughs> but it was brilliant. It meant also gave you the license to just say something in a scene and yeah. she would go with it. The auditions yeah. for Nighty Night are some of the most enjoyable things I've ever done. Oh. We improvised at one point, I think, improvising the character of this Vicar Gordon. And off we went and we just started talking as if we were having a cup of tea together. And um, we did one that went over an hour. <laughs> and eventually she laughed. Oh, uh, I think that's 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 so lovely to because mm. I think like because I'm a I'm a bit of a, a stalker really. Um, but I've watched many like sort of the outtakes of things like Human Rights and 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 seen sort of yeah the improvisation and how it comes to be. And mm. she just seems to. And I think I, this rings true for me as well. Like the joy that you take in other people playing, like other people making you laugh and making it and, and think just making things better together versus mm. trying to impose. Oh no! I've written this, and it needs to be this. It's like you know, in in our company in Spitlet, when we write the show and and other shows that I've written in the past, it was always the funniest joke 
that's what's important. It doesn't matter who's came up with it. It yeah. doesn't matter any of that. They, they, you leave the ego at the door. Mm. And um, anything that I've seen of her, she just, in terms of, you know, when, when not that there's a lot, because she's a you know, famously quite private person yeah. and quite bloody right too, good honor. <laughs> but just that she's so dedicated to the funniest thing needs to go and needs to be what's what makes absolutely it. which meant that if something funnier occurred or she thought of something funnier she would ditch things so you know, yes that's why it changed so much which is why at the end of it having put it together they went into the edit and went we don't know how to finish this <laughs> that gives me such comfort in a way <laughs> but that's it's fantastically bold isn't it to have spent his yeah. writing something and then to have the nerve almost on the spur of a moment to to say do you know what? I think I've got a better idea and I'm going to film it. And for that idea to be poisoning everyone with angel, with angel well, delight. Quite, yeah. So, I mean, I, they said, is your hair the same? And I went, I, yeah, I think so. Just about. And me and <laughs> her, my, it was filmed in Steve Coogan's house in, uh, oh. down in Hove. <laughs> what a team. Brilliant what a fun. golden time that was. Brilliant yeah. fun. Yeah. So well, yes, ideally, I would like to preserve her for the future generations. I mean, I think it's we almost it's not that you really need it now because I think there's so many more like female talent and amazing female comedians and character comedians who have come through and, and making amazing stuff. But just for me, for my own personal time capsule, she was the first woman, British woman, that I saw and made me go, "I don't want to be in things. I want to make things." Yeah, brilliant. Well, that's a fantastic thing. I should tell her that. She'd be delighted. Oh, please. Honestly, I would, I, I would, she's, she's, a, yeah, she's, I, I can't think of anyone except, but yeah, her and Rishi Smith, I think, were are the two real, geniuses. real inspirations. Both of them. For geniuses yeah. of my, of my, of my soul. Yeah. yeah. I've never worked with, with Reese, but I've worked with Steve and I've worked with Mark, so I'm, I'm oh. always terribly keen to do anything. One day, one day. One day, well, I'm sure it will happen. They just seem like such lovely, again, like I, I, he was the same in terms of just like, it's just, you've just got to be about the work. It's just always about getting the right thing down. And it, it yeah, speaks very strongly to me that he was, he was such a nice, he was so, he was so kind to us and genuinely passionate about the show and, and was so encouraging. And it was, yeah, a real reaffirmation of like, you know, what's actually important. Mm. Yeah. I think that's why they do such good work. I'm yeah. sure of it. Okay, Julia's in there. Julia's in there. She's there in a horrible car park for all eternity, having a terrible, drizzly time. But at least she's got that lamest CD to keep her, to yeah, keep her quite. occupied. I hope she likes it. <laughs> I hope she likes it. If not, yeah, we're in trouble. Send me your address. I will definitely send you the scripts. Oh, gosh, I would honestly, that would be a treasure. I'd, I'd have to put that in if you did that, you see, because I know it would just be self-fulfilling because I'd need that saved for all time. Uh, fantastic. Okay, so let's move on to number three. Number three mm-hmm. is a large bit of cheese. <laughs> okay, what's number four? Um, number four. <laughs> no questions asked. It's 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 obvious. It's everyone obvious. everyone know knows why. why a big bit of cheese. Yeah, you can cheat anything you like. I mean, a good cheddar is fine. Lancashire cheese. That's obviously my from my hometown. Uh, but yeah, for me, I just think there's only you know. I think the thing with this mad industry is that you think to yourself, oh, wow, if you start achieving your goals, <laughs> if you start achieving your goals in your career, you're going to find something that is as good as eating a big bit of cheese. <laughs> but nothing is. <laughs> nothing beats it. Yeah. Nothing beats it. I remember like my, yeah, my, when I was, when I was little, I'd go to my grandma's house after school and my, my snack would be big bit of cheese in a bowl with some crisps, mm. unbeaten. To this day, I'm not sure there's any feeling that is better than just eating a big bowl of crisps with a big lump of cheese in the middle. <laughs> so yeah, for me, big lump of cheese, it simply represents 
just what's actually the, the goodness of of the purity of of what's actually good in your heart and it is and obviously achieving goals and <laughs> getting you know nice accolades and and meeting exciting people is wonderful but ultimately if you think it's going to be eating a big bit of cheese <laughs> you're chasing down craziness no, you're going to crazy town you aim to be the big cheese you've got to be the big cheese yeah. and then you've got to know that the big cheese can always be eaten by yourself <laughs> you can unravel that metaphor in your own time yeah, you are i'm, I'm lost already <laughs> <laughs> we've gone galaxy brain what is, is do you have this equivalent like for me literally because cheese is my favorite food no so i love cheese i'm with you yeah, on yeah, that. yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, I, I never eat dessert I always no, go, why? Can why you would cheese? you bother? Cheese. There's a cheese board right there. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Keep your pies, keep your tarts, bring me the camembert <laughs> and leave me alone for four hours. Yes, quite. And don't look at me. And and I like <laughs> I like to do it in that French way as well, which is actually just eat the cheese. I Oh, I don't I, need the, the, all those the business of the crackers. Stuff. What's all that for? Like, oh, the the noise of the of the cracker. <laughs> Clear it away. Just give me the velvet song of the Stilton and leave me be. Yes. Gorgeous. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it? Because you grow up in a world where you think that cheese is those few lumps of hard cheese that you're given. And then you discover these other things. Uh, there are still many people in the world who will go, oh, that cheese has gone off. It's really smelly. And you go, no, that, that's, that's, no, that's the it. smell that's of the taste. That's what that yes. is. <laughs> it's the smell of taste. Yeah. That is what taste should smell like. Yes. That is the ultimate taste of smell. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. Anyone who doesn't like cheese, I feel, I feel very sorry for. Mm. Just, it's what, what a terrible life. So yes, that's uh, that's my number. Was that number three? Number, number three, three. Yeah. Big bit of cheese. And Julia, you're welcome. She's now sitting in the car park, listening to Les Mis, eating on a big bit of bit of uh, Emmental or cheddar. She's she's having a great time, nibbling away. I'll put a packet of crisps in there as well. Just a packet oh, of crisps. Oh, yeah, exactly. Give her a bag of crisps yeah. for a little, as a treat. When she gets to act two, she'll need it for sustenance. It's yeah. really, really kicks She's off. She's a lucky woman. She's a very <laughs> lucky I don't think she deserves all this luxury, honestly. Uh, uh, okay, number four. <laughs> yes, please. Is the concept of fire. <laughs> Okay. We're jumping around, but I think it's, uh, when you look at it as a whole, it all makes real coherent sense. Um, so basically, I um, I, I, I'm not very, I don't have, I'm not very maternal. I'm not very maternal person. I know you're thinking, why does this connect to fire? But it will, it will get there. But there's something about tending a fire that fills me with abject peace. Ah. I think there's just, there's nothing that makes me feel calmer. And I'm loath to say that I'm a pyromaniac, but I do love fire. <laughs> and I do often think, gosh, wouldn't it be lovely if all this just burned <laughs> i did a uh, i did a, a podcast series for um, bbc sounds called the sink um, it was like a, a comedy um dark horror comedy um sketch show but the, the the sort of central conceit of it ended up boiling down to just like oh what if it all just burnt down i think i and, and i do and i was trying to like <laughs> visualize why why i felt so strongly about the concept of fire and what it meant as, as importance to me <laughs> I think there is something about like the world at large being so busy and so chaotic and it's very hard to kind of hold on to what's pure, what's true, what's important. And for, for some reason for me, if I'm feeling stressed and like I'm sort of surrounded by oh, things in the house, you need to do that and that needs doing over there and the washing. And if I can just visualize to myself like, well, the thing is though, if it all, if if my dear mother fire came and burnt this all to the ground, hmm. I would still be myself. I would still have my friends. I would still, the things that actually meant something to me would still 
exist and these are just things mm. and it, and it ultimately and i think maybe it's kind of it's 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 sort of it's sort of true and not true that obviously but yeah. in a kind of in a sort of philosophical sense of well there is a philosophical sense to fire isn't there the idea that actually particularly this time of year when which your time of year i would imagine when you have these enormous pyres big bonfires and, and people set fire to them and then when it's done you go back the next day still glowing but a tiny pile of ashes oh i mean it is but like yeah, exactly. And it's amazing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But they're just, it's just the best thing in the world. When you light a fire and you're like watching it, you're just like, I am a god. <laughs> yes. I am a mad god king. And this is my <laughs> army of weird little spiky tendrils. Like, I just can't <laughs> believe that we're allowed. And because like, I feel like if fire was only in like, like like fantasy books, mm. we would be like, imagine if that was real. Yeah. Imagine like you could strike something and then heat and light would jump into flames and you could control it. Like it just feels a bit like it shouldn't be real. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be something that exists in our <laughs> actual world because it's so weird. And it comes from nothing. Like if you get two stones and you put them around and you flint and like it's it just is so it's so basic, but it is it's incredibly centering to me to just feel like I, I just love I, I'm a very cold person as well. I think that's bit buys into it. Like I'm a very slow blooded. Mm -hmm. I'm very um I got very bad uh, extremities. So for me, my 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 friend, my 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 ally is 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 the fire in that I can I can finally get warm. My wife's the same, but for her, oh really? Yeah, for her, but I am her fire. That's it. Oh, that's I give nice. off heat. I think so. She can she can hit two stones together, and you will jump into the into the grave. <laughs> no, she just puts her cold feet on my back. Yes, ah! that's. I think that's that's the, I think that's that's common though. I do think a cold needs to be needs to go out with a hot. Yeah. that's 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 the 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 opposite and energies attract. Mm. Um, of course, this is the only place in the known universe where you can get fire because you need oxygen. So the earth yes. is the only place. It's a unique thing for us. And all the aliens are looking in being like, what? That's not fair. I want a bit of that. That looks great. They've got it on torches. They're wandering around <laughs> looking for beasts. They've put it in little candles and they're being like a Victorian urchin with a little headscarf. Oh, I just think it's it's wonderful. You're right. If aliens did come to this planet from miles and miles away, the only thing they'd be interested in taking away with them would be fire. And I don't blame them. I'd be like, you know, just sacrifice us all in the pot. Just take take the the only thing we've good thing we've got is fire. It it heats <laughs> us. It does everything, and then it destroys everything as well. I I do. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a religious person really, but I do think if if there were if if fire itself was sort of a religion. I'd, I'd be ready. I'd be there. I'd be like, that's it. That's what, that's what I'm following. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't totally know what that says about me. I think maybe it just sort of speaks to a, a general sort of ancient Wiccan mm. <laughs> sort of Viking desire to both build and destroy. But ultimately, I'm weak and I can't do any of that. So. <laughs> I'll just roast some marshmallows on a little fire and pretend that I'm a tiny god. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I like the fact that also that it relaxes you, that actually watching it and watching it in a way slowly burn away. I love the ferocious start of a fire and then it will just keep going and going and going for ages. And that's what you, but you, and you have to pay attention to it. That's the thing. Like in a fire, like if you just leave it, it will go out. Yeah. So you have to kind of just like, there's chemistry involved and there's tactics. And you're like, oh, okay, that side over there, the log needs turning over. And then you get a whole fresh flush. Honestly, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, it just makes me so, it makes me so calm and happy just to be gently considering, to have like 20% of my mind on what's going on with the fire mm. is where I, uh, where I am happiness. And I think it's just because I have a, I have a mind that can flit lots of different places and make lots, and it can sometimes feel like, 
it's it's all a bit much but i think in a room with a fire that i'm in charge of i'm like well i can't i can't you know this fire needs me yeah <laughs> the heat of this room is dependent on me knowing when to turn over that log i can't do my tax return i can't i can't do the washing up what are you talking about a couple of my clothes away i've got to attend this spiritual elemental being into 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 <laughs> yeah, I've got a friend in Tunbridge Wells who I've known for many, many years who is an absolute pyromaniac and uh, he loves a fire. Oh, we should, we should meet up. Yeah, but not only that, he can sense a fire when it's going on. <gasps> you know, I mean, he he lives the other side of town from me now. We used to live in the same street. Whenever we lit a fire, he would turn up and he continued to do it when we went to the other side of town. Wow, he just knows. He just knew when there was a fire. I think the aliens will take him as well. I think they need to study that. <laughs> He'll be the only one who survives the alien purge. <laughs> then they're doomed. <laughs> That's all yeah. I can say. <laughs> he will be their undoing. I'll, that'll be the next musical I write, I think. The alien fire and, uh, and the Tunbridge Wells undoing. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Natasha, so sadly, all we have to pick now is something you want to put in that you want to forget. Yes, I, this, this is by far the, the hardest one to uh, to think about, I think, because I think, again, I, I, I'm very, I sort of person who lives very much in the moment. I think it, to, to be in theatre and to be in sort of those creative industries, you have to not think too hard about the past or the future <laughs> in order to, to not go mad because everything is so precarious all the time and you never know if things go go well or you're going to make any money you make your rent and all the rest of it mm. um so i i did i struggled with with something that i would want to i don't know i try not to sort of think about like things that i regret or things like because i'm i'm not much i'm very sort of pragmatic i think mm. when it comes to where i'm going however having said all that i do have i do have something and it is um mine and beth palmer's joint sixth birthday party <laughs> okay and uh tell me about the lovely beth palmer let me walk you through it Mike. poor beth palmer who i've not talked to since we left primary school but i i, I will this will be seared in my mind forever and it's not her fault basically so me and beth palmer had the same birthday mm. i assume we still do um <laughs> and so her parents and my parents thought well, we'll just do a joint birthday party we'll get a clown nice and easy sort it out and in order to make things even easier they decided that half the kids would get Beth a present and half the kids would get me a present and there'd be like a little spreadsheet and it would be nice and easy. Poor parents, things you have to think about, my God. <laughs> I, I'm just six. I've got a velvet dress on. I'm living my life. I'm having a great day. Yeah. Um, but when we get to the party, it transpires that due to an some sort of error, <laughs> there are many more presents for me. <gasps> than for Beth Palmer. <laughs> and at my own birthday party, I am taken aside by my mother because I'm just in heaven. I'm like, I'm I'm in present kingdom. I can't yeah. believe it. I've got a clown. I've got a velvet dress on. There's a pile of presents. And my mum says to me, Tash, there's been a bit of a problem and you're going to have to give some of your presents oh. to, to Beth Palmer. And I was not happy. <laughs> Any semblance of fairness out the window. I was like, no, they're my, they're my, they're my presents. They've got Tash written on them. Yeah. There's a lovely part. I'm sorry if people don't want to give Beth Palmer a birthday present, but maybe they just <laughs> like me. It's like, how could the ego on the six, this six year old? Like, these kids don't even know what a birthday is. Their parents have thought it all out. But in that moment, I was absolutely staggeringly convinced that if I didn't get all the presents. I would have a, a tantrum, and and uh, I, I, it's haunted me ever since that memory. Um, because I just I I think I fear that it says something very fundamental about me as a person. No. 
yeah. I hope it doesn't. But do you know what I mean? Like, I think, do you, I mean, I think those those vivid memories that you have as a child. Surely any six-year-old, any six-year-old, surely. I don't know. I think there are, there are, I'm sure there are nice six-year-olds out there who would be like, I understand, mummy. I am an angel child. It's true, actually. I've got a grandson. And if you said to him, you need to give your presents? Well, he went to the, you know, the school fete and you, you buy raffle tickets and uh, you can win chocolate. So normally you play oh, that yeah. because you can win alcohol, Huge. but for children they put chocolate. Yeah. The children's alcohol. Yeah, the children's chocolate. alcohol. That's what they gave them. And he bought five tickets and won five bars of chocolate. <gasps> and his friend bought five tickets and didn't win a thing. And he gave him two of his chocolate bars. That's the difference between me and your grandson. There you go. You see, mm. this is—I was right to feel shame because that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing to have done. That's a lovely. That's a, and he can and he can stand when he's you know twenty years from now. He can look back on that memory and feel <laughs> nothing but pride. And I worry that what I'm looking back at is the is the is the core dragon horror that lurks in me that I've managed to like shade over the years <laughs> with social conditioning and training. But I do worry that in my heart of hearts, I'm just a girl standing in front of a bunch of presents saying, "No one but me. <laughs> it's all mine." <laughs> It's all for me. I must have them all. I think in the end they did. They did get split up. But I do. I have that. So that I, that's a terrible. Moment. But I. But I do remember that the clown was very very funny. But he had he had a really good joke which I'd never heard before. Which was when grown ups are carrying heavy things, he would point at them and say, "Watch the bucket." And then they would like, ah, they would like do a little stuff. Oh my God. The idea that you could trick a grown up yes. age six, I was out of my mind with joy. So that and the presence, I was having a great day and then it all, it all turned around for me, but I, not even once did I consider the feelings of poor Beth Palmer. So for that reason, I, I, I have carried that shame with me. And I, I, I assume that she has literally no memory of that. No, she's a serial killer. Oh, oh she's that Beth Palmer. That Beth Palmer, the famous one. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. she carves the words, where are the presents into all her victims? <laughs> I mean, I haven't thought about that now, but yeah, it makes, it makes yeah, a lot of there sense. there you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, childhood shame and and trying to, uh, hoping that you are not bound in the same fate as you were when you were a spoiled little six-year-old who was full of cake and wanted to watch a clown mm. trip your parents over. <laughs> so can I say, Beth, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's not, you were right to want those presents. And uh, and if, if anything, the, the parents were to blame because their spreadsheet, whatever happened with the spreadsheet really got out of whack. Yeah. She's screaming from the padded cell saying, it's all right, Tash, I don't mind. <laughs> Justice has been done in the faces of my victims. It's fine. Uh, do you know, see, I made a prediction at the beginning of this and you've just shown to me exactly why I'm completely correct. <laughs> You are absolutely fabulous. And uh, I oh, really look forward you. to watching your career and uh, maybe getting the chance one day to say, we, we did a podcast together. You say, security, get him out of here. <laughs> get him out. Put him in with Beth Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them deserve each other. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Natasha, how It's been lovely. lovely to chat. Thank you for listening to lovely me. And, to and thanks to Julia Davis for sitting in that car park for all eternity. She's a sweetie. I appreciate She's it. a sweetie. <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Natasha Hodgson. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, then please don't hesitate to subscribe to this podcast. It doesn't commit you to anything, but will be useful for keeping you informed of new episodes as they're released. We'd really appreciate it if you rate or review us on the podcast user you prefer, and we'd also be very happy if you decided to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, slash X, slash something anyway, which I know can be a bit toxic at times, but not in our world, I promise you. My Time Capsule and I are both on there, so search us out and have a chat. 
The theme tune by Pass the Peas Music is on Spotify. You can get this podcast ad-free if you subscribe to Acast Plus. Details in the description of this episode. This was a cast-off production for Acast, produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, now get online and book yourself a ticket for Operation Mincemeat, which is not only a great show, but a fascinating story of daring do's in World War II. Oh, I love tales of heroism from the war. Well, it's not surprising. I mean, my dad fought right the way through the Second World War. Yeah, he fought with de Gaulle in Paris, he fought with Patton in Italy, with Montgomery in Africa, and he fought with Eisenhower in Europe. My dad didn't get on with anybody. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.